Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Speaking to the media right now, let's go down to Enterprise Center. Let's hear from Doug Armstrong. Since then, just are there players out there that pique your interest that you think could be good fits uh, in that position? Doug, uh, we haven't. There's not nothing that's come that come across our our desk that we've seriously considered yet, and that doesn't mean it won't happen between now and uh, now and before those picks are taken. I think a lot of teams are, you know, obviously I'm feeling a lot of calls on on our, our picks, all three picks, quite honestly, and uh, letting people know what we want, and then they go back to work and see if there's a fit. But no one's brought to us anything that uh, would perk our perk our interest as of yet. But that's not abnormal. Uh, things will start picking up probably Monday. Doug, it's Matt DeFrance. I think last month uh, you talked about kind of the the style of play and when the the smaller players uh, kind of had an advantage because they skated better, and now the bigger players have learned to skate better. Uh, so when you look at small prospects for this draft, what skills can they possess to kind of make up for for that difference? Mm-hmm. Well, I think you have to have speed, certainly, uh, and hockey IQ. Uh, you have to, you know, smaller players think the game, need to think the game a little quicker. They need to stay a step ahead of the competition. Uh, you know, they can't put themselves in, in uh, areas where size and strength can be a detriment to, uh, to how they play. So I think hockey IQ is a, is a huge factor in, uh, and tight area quickness, tight area uh, being elusive to get out of to get out of uh, areas where there's bigger bodies, longer limbs is is very important. But I would say hockey IQ and a quickness factor. Doug, it's Lou. Um, just curious. I'm under the assumption you went to uh, the combine in Buffalo, and just what are some of your takeaways after meeting with uh, some of these prospects? Anything stand out to you about some of these guys? Uh, yeah, I think from when we started doing the combine, now the the players are. Are very well uh, schooled. They're they're much more uh, in tune with with this process that we go through. I think their agents do a great job of preparing them. There's really not a lot of difference right now in these interviews, quite honestly. Uh, but it's always great to to get to meet people to ask them about their their path to this point. Uh, but the, the the guys are all very well schooled on on the answers that they want to give, and uh, you know just the excitement. Uh, that one thing it hasn't changed. It's the it's the excitement of the draft, the excitement of fulfilling a dream of getting drafted potentially. And then, you know, that's just a starting point of then going back and signing a contract and turning pro. But there's still a, there's still a, a, a naivety, naivety with each of these players or uh, of, of, of what pro sports is and hockey. And um, it's a, a joy to watch the just the true passion and the love of the game come out when you talk to them. Doug, what are your overall thoughts on on this year's group of D, uh, the draftees? 
um, defenseman. And it seems like a, a lot of the forwards get the attention, but what are just your thoughts on the D group? Yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of forwards in the top 10 and then there might be a, a, a pretty, you know, normal split, I think between uh, you know, 11 to, to uh, the end of the first round. Uh, there's some, there's some good D there. Uh, there's some uh, smaller defensemen that, that got uh, uh, unbelievable puck skills and creativity. And there's some bigger body defensemen too. So there's a little bit for everybody in that group. Um, but I think the, 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 the run of defensemen likely will start, you know, a little bit later than it does, uh, does normally. Uh, but there, there, there will be uh, definitely more than one handful of, of D likely taken in the first round. Doug, you said you've been fielding some calls about your picks. Do you still feel as strongly that you'll make that number 10 pick as you did a month or so ago, or, or could things change? Yeah, no, I, I feel strongly about that. Again, uh, we're pretty honed in on what it would take to get to 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 remove that pick from us. And uh, you know, that that's we haven't had any any conversations uh with anyone uh to move back that uh and 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 to fairness to the other teams, moving back is something that you you do at at the table. Uh, so at pick ten, I expect to hear from from people uh, at about pick eight, maybe seven. That okay, there there's a couple of guys there. I think in this draft, I think most most mock drafts have uh, the top four uh, non-Russian players. Uh, all about all have the same top four. I would say. That, well over the majority of them do have the same top four. And then uh, then, then it starts to to deviate a little bit. So you're, you're looking probably pick five through 10. If you have eight guys in that group and and uh, three or four are there or three are there or two are there at, at pick seven or eight, I might start to hear from guys. But I don't expect to do that at the draft. And we'll have to have a comfort level on how far we're willing to move back and what that asset is to, to make it worthwhile. So you mentioned the the Russians there. Do you have any hesitation about drafting Russian guys uh, so highly? Uh, we haven't in the past. I think that uh, obviously the political uh, climate is a little bit different, and uh, top rated Russian player uh, has a, has a long term contract that that uh, I assume he's going to honor. I'm sure. I assume they're going to make him honor. It. That's three years, uh, and we haven't had live scouting on him for a while too. So this year's dynamic is is different. But in general, I, I think that these players are so far away from playing that I, I wouldn't run scared of drafting Russians. Hey, Doug, Steve Wino, just following up on that, like what's the calculus? You obviously drafted a Russian player last year. What's the calculus in, in knowing that some of these guys you're drafting out of junior or college might also take three years and, and, and maybe development in, in a Russian pro league like the KHL might also kind of be beneficial? Yeah, we don't – again, depending where you're drafting, like uh, – uh, three years is a fast track, quite honestly, for anybody probably outside the top 15 uh, to be impact players. So I, I remember, again, dating myself when I started that you wouldn't even consider bringing any European players over until they had played for their national team in the 90s. Uh, you know, you, you'd let them develop there. You'd let them go through, get into the men's league, be a good men's league player, pay for a national team and come over at 23 or 24 now we we obviously fast track fast track that I think with free agency at 27, you want to get these guys in the league as quick as possible because you only have them for a finite amount of time. Uh, but I, I have no problem in, in European players uh, developing in their home country at their own pace. Doug, how much is the lack of live views 
a factor. I mean, you can see the stats, you can see what he's done in certain leagues. You know, you can read all you want, but the fact that you haven't seen him perhaps a lot, how much does that weigh in? Well, it's the live views and it's also, it's also the meetings. It's also getting to talk to people around him. Uh, you know, you, it's just a, it's been shut down. Uh, we were relying very heavily on our scout from, from that area and, uh, and, and other contacts, but it, it's, it's definite secondhand information. And, uh, it's not as as much as the live views. It's it's being able to have communication when you see them at tournaments. They haven't been participating in the Ivan Halinka, uh, the U18s, the Subway Series that goes through Canada. Uh, so it, it's it's there's a lot of live views that aren't there, and there's also a lot of getting to know people uh, and getting to know them from different tournaments. It's not there either. So it's a it's certainly probably pre Cold War Russia scouting than it is. Uh, post-Cold War. Um, hi, Doug. Uh, Guillaume Lefrançois of La Presse in Montreal. If I may piggyback on that, uh, I was just wondering to what extent um, the, the amount of contact that you would have with uh, a, a, play, a Russian player's uh, team uh, might have an impact on the development. Like, you know, how much control do you feel you can have over a player's development in today's world? Um, given you know the the, the level of, of uh, discussions you have with, with those teams, yeah, I, I would say you you you. Well, I I you know I wouldn't assume that 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 we would be able to have a Russian uh, team change their development plans or or play a player differently if he's not getting enough ice time because we call and request that. Uh, but that hasn't that hasn't that's not that hasn't been pre or post pandemic. That's always, uh, and quite honestly in Finland and, and, and Sweden and other countries too, it's very difficult to, uh, to get players, you know, you, you, we drafted a player last year. I went to Washington playing the Finnish elite league. He didn't get a shift. Um, uh, that happens, you know, they brought him up from the junior team and that they decided not to play him that day, but that that's the rub of the green. You just hope that the overall development, the summer training and that stuff puts them, puts them further ahead. But, uh, to, to think that you uh, can force force their hand into trades or force their hand into playing them in different situations. Let's say he's a you see him as a centerman and play him in the middle. They want him on the wing. Uh, you have to just understand that they they own the player and they're going to do what they think is best. And if you believe you can't get if that's not acceptable, then you have to try and sign the player and get him to North America. But that's sort of counter to what I said before. Is it's it's nice to have those guys develop in their own countries at their own pace. You're listening to Blues President of Hockey Operations, Doug Armstrong. This is his pre-draft press availability here on BK and Ferrario. We'll stick with this for just another few minutes here on 101 ESPN. You know, some of those options might make you more competitive next year or the year after. Some of the decisions might make you competitive in two, three, four years. What's going to determine what routes you take with some of these decisions? I think the quality of player we can get. Uh, how how we view the short and long term. We we are trying to feed uh, feed uh, two masters right now. Uh, get competitive as quick as possible and have the the, the longest uh, window open available when when some of our younger players start to mature. Uh, and that's a that's sometimes a, a tricky situation. What we don't want to try and do is jam a square peg into a round hole. And so if the trades don't make sense, if we can't see the value of let's say trading for a player with multiple years on his contract, knowing that we're going to get value throughout that and he can help with the development. 
we, we're not going to do it or we're not going to, you know, do we trade for a 25 year old uh, and give up a, a valuable asset knowing that we have them for this year and next year? Uh, probably not something that we would look to do. So I think it's a term on the contract. Uh, it's it's age and term. And I think those are, those go hand in hand. I think when you're looking at, at uh, you know, forwards prime years, 24 to 29 defenseman prime years, 26 to 31. Uh, you want to, you want to get, if you're trading, if you're trading uh, uh, future assets, you want to get players that are going to sort of fit in that window for as long as possible. And so that that's what we'll look at do if if we if we move these picks and um, and if we don't get the proper player we're we're more than happy to to select uh, build a put more assets uh, in in the development area and then see what's available in free agency and see what's available via trade and and if not we'll we'll build internally. Doug, when we talk about acquiring these types of players, uh, you know their their cap is probably not going to fit into your current cap structure. Have you found it more difficult uh, to find the right player to acquire or to create kind of that cap space in order to fit them in? I, I think that all 32 teams now understand the cap system and and very rarely does anyone make a phone call not knowing what the team's cap situation is and, and then have an idea on how to placate the, the situation saying, I can take this player, would he be available uh, as, as part of the salary needed to go the other way to make this deal happen. And so I think everybody understands what, what we have to deal with. And, uh, you know, you, you don't you don't get many teams offering $10 million players when they know you're at the cap for a draft pick. It just, it, it's a wasted phone call. There has to be some business side of the cap that's involved in every discussion.